be some more work to be done and some more folks to be uh, reached, but we're confident that with God's help, uh, he will provide everything that we're in need of according to his riches and glory. Uh, one of the questions um, that I often get uh, when we make announcements about new campuses and new folks and new things that, that God is doing is, but does this mean that, you know, now this campus is going to be live streamed or that campus is going to be live streamed? And, you know, we always live stream to the internet, but we're working right now to arrange the schedule that both Kirkland, Snohomish, and Seattle will all be able to do live in person. And so you don't have to worry about showing up here Sunday night and then going, why are we watching a video from Russ? <laughs> like, what's happening here? Um, and I think especially in a church like ours with the type of service we run, there are so many things that happen in the spirit that are not captured by things that happen on the screen. And there is, there is something that I think oftentimes uh, is missing from our multi-site models in the West. And that's the anointing of, of God's spirit that causes a room to shift by virtue of the weight of the glory of God. And, and there are just some things that don't transcend over video. And, and I believe in video and we broadcast stuff all around the, the nation, all around the world. In fact, a few weeks ago when we hosted uh, Masab Hassan Youssef here on Sunday night in Seattle, we posted that on YouTube. That's been viewed 600,000 times, you know? And so um, we always wanna do our best to capture things and to send them out to all of the different media channels. But the reality is, is that there is something that happens in your life when you're in the room. <clears throat> the God of the universe could have orchestrated the incarnation any way that he so saw fit. He could have had an image of his son appear in the sky and be broadcast to the entire world, give a short sermon and then be done. But instead he sends Jesus born of a virgin, raised, living a sinless life, beginning his public ministry at the age of 30. And he became God with us. There is something incarnational about the gathering of God's people. We learned this even during COVID. It was like, well, it's COVID, just shut everything down and we can just live stream. And yeah, we can, always, we can always live stream, but there is something incarnational that happens in your life when you're in the room. And there's also something spiritually significant that happens in your life when you're willing to be inconvenienced enough to show up someplace and stay around for 90 minutes. There is something significant that happens inside of you. And so, you know, we're gonna work with the schedules and, 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 and do the best that we can, but... Our model is live, it's in person, it's anointed, because we believe that when God's in the room and, and the place is packed, that, that something supernatural uh, transcends in the human heart. Oftentimes that words fail to comprehend and thoughts fail to conceptualize. There's something that happens in your life when you're in the room. We have this experience all the time because we have people who fly in from around the nation, uh, sometimes just to attend a service. We've had folks from the Philippines fly in, folks from Florida, folks from South America, people from all over, literally the world, who are like, hey, we've been watching online, but we just had to come in for a service just to feel like what it is in the room. And they always walk away with the same experience. They're like, yo, it was cool on YouTube, but when I got in the room, I have never felt that in my entire life. There's something about being in the room, and so, 
we just try to address these things before we get a thousand emails and like, so does this mean we're shutting down this camp? No, 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 the pursuit isn't moving to Kirkland. We're expanding to Kirkland. And we will be one church with three locations, Nahomish, Seattle, and Kirkland. And in doing so, we believe that God will continue to uh, expand our reach. And we're going to see a lot of folks meet Jesus in really powerful ways. And so I want to thank you for believing with us and praying with us and praying alongside of us and along our team as we embark on this great new adventure with God. And we are just trusting that he will provide because we don't have any other option. And it's like when Jesus is teaching the crowds and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. and You'll have eternal life. And the Bible says the crowds desert him. He turns to his disciples and he says, will you leave also? And they respond, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. Like planting pursuit was not like plan B, you know? Like, hey, if this thing doesn't work out, we have like 17 other options and things that we're going to try. Now, like we went all in, just convinced that if we did, God would show up and meet us. And he has every week faithfully for nine years. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And Kirkland is simply the next miracle. It won't be the last one. It's simply the next one. And some of you may have been here in the room, but this happened probably a couple months ago. I only found out about Kirkland being a possibility six weeks ago, and we officially signed the paperwork on it on Wednesday of this week, and so it just came about. But a few months ago, it was during one of the worship portions of our services, and I just felt like God put on my heart, hey, let's pray, pray for the east side, pray for Kirkland, let's believe that God's gonna do something there. And I said it from this stage, I said it took us nine years to get our first campus, our first, you know, additional campus in Seattle. And it will be less than a year until God gives us a new one. And, you know, we opened Seattle in November of 2022. And we just found out that we landed Kirkland in November of 23. And we'll launch our first service there January 7th in six weeks. And so we're excited. Uh, you should be too. But the reason why we tell these testimonies is not to draw attention to ourselves, but instead to bring glory to God. Because if you knew us, and some of you do, you would know that this is not to our credit, it's to His. And sometimes people get it twisted in their life because things that begin in the spirit are easy to continue in the flesh. They begin to think that the success of their life or the breakthrough of their life is really related to their own skill set or resume or personal accomplishments. But the reality is, is when you get a proper view of yourself, you recognize how fortunate you are to be on the receiving end of God's grace, not God's judgment. And so we are overwhelmed by the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we are excited for another series of miracle testimonies of lives who will be changed in Kirkland, Bellevue, Redmond, on the east side and beyond. And we'll faithfully do everything we can to steward that property. And in due time, God will give us another one. And we're just going to continue to be faithful to walk through every open door that he places in our path. <clears throat> I would encourage you uh, in this house to be reminded of this. That the breakthrough on uh, this house has the supernatural ability to be so contagious that it leads to breakthrough in your house. <clears throat> when you are a part of an organization that has the wind of God's spirit by virtue of you being involved, that wind will become your wind. And in doing so, breakthrough will happen in and around you. So if you're here tonight, you've been believing for breakthrough, believing for miracles, prodigals to come back home, healing, restoration, reconciliation, financial miracles, I would just say, get ready. 
because what you're gonna see is the wind of God begin to open doors that for years you've been knocking on. You're gonna be like, oh, this was impossible. This would have never happened. Just watch what's gonna happen. Watch what's gonna happen. All of a sudden, property's released. All of a sudden, houses purchased. All of a sudden, kids coming back home. All of a sudden, relationships healed. All of a sudden, marriages healed. All of a sudden, physical bodies healed. Things that you've been believing for, knocking on, just waiting. Did God forget? Does he not like me? What's going on? I can't figure this out. And then all of a sudden, a suddenly of God occurs. See, when the wind of God or the smoke of the Lord would fill the temple, it wouldn't just impact the priest. It would impact all of those who were gathered. And what I'm telling you is that when God begins to do his work in a congregation, all of those who by proxy are in and around that movement begin to, by virtue, benefit from that which is happening in that house. So when we have breakthrough here at Pursuit, it'll lead to breakthrough in your life. And watch, you don't even have to do anything for it. It just happens by virtue of you being a part of a grander narrative that God is writing about this region. So if I were you, you're a praying person, I'd begin to write some things down because I would just have the sneaking suspicion tonight that you're gonna see supernatural breakthrough in the suddenlies of the spirit. All of a sudden, things just break out in your life. And you're like, where was that? I was waiting for that for seven years. Where was that? All of a sudden, you're in a container that can hold that blessing, and it's giving weight to the wind that God is releasing in your life. So just be aware. This is not like, oh, yay, let's applaud Pursuit, and Russell must be excited because he got Kirkland. No, what I'm telling you is this miracle prophesies to your miracle. This breakthrough prophesies to your breakthrough. This momentum prophesies to your momentum because the God I serve is no respecter of persons. So if he did it for me, there is no reason he won't do it for you. And when you are a part of this type of house, these types of things will get on you. So just get ready. because We're going to start to see miracles break out, testimonies break out. That's part of why I wanted to have Isaiah share tonight. That's a miracle testimony. That's a miracle testimony. And that's just the first fruits of what God's about to do. Watch. All of a sudden, when God arises from his throne, you know, scripture speaks poetically about God arising from his slumber. Now, we know he does not sleep, nor does he slumber, but the idea of God arising from his throne and all of a sudden now intending uh, uh, in the affairs of man and intervening in the life and the narrative of people, when God is on the move, nothing can stop it, and it's always more forceful and more suddenly than you could ever imagine. So just watch. Because it's going to happen, and we're going to see a breakout between Snohomish uh, and Seattle. Uh, this evening, I want to share with you a sermon that I have entitled, Make Room. Make Room. It comes to us from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, starting in chapter 26. I want to read to you a little bit this evening, starting in verse 1 of that chapter. The Bible says this, there was a famine in the land. There was a, a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but instead live in the land of which I shall tell you. Now watch. Because the Bible always speaks in the language of patterns. When you learn the patterns of the way that God works... 
you can live an anticipatory and an expectant life. So that's why I'm trying to give you context tonight. When we have breakthrough, you're gonna have breakthrough because I've learned the pattern of the way that the Lord works. Now, I can't predict the day it's gonna happen and give you all the breakdown of the who, what, where, when, why because the Lord's ways oftentimes are mysterious, but I've been around the anointing enough to know the patterns of the way in which the Lord works. And I'm telling you, once you learn the pattern of scripture, your eyes will be open to the way that God has worked all throughout human history. Now watch, in Genesis 12, Abraham encounters famine. In Genesis 26, Isaac encounters famine. In Genesis 32, Jacob encounters famine. In Genesis 41, Joseph encounters famine. Watch, every generation encounters famine but it's what you do with it that counts. See, I believe that a famine in the land is an opportunity for the church. Why? Because the church is God's solution in the earth. Hear me, God does not have a backup plan if the church doesn't work. The church is God's solution in the earth. I didn't say the church was perfect, I didn't say if you go to church your entire life, you're never gonna be upset by the pastor. Nobody's ever gonna tick you off or stab you in the back or say something rude. No, no, no. I said the church is still God's best solution in the earth. And it's kind of like Noah's Ark. In a world flooded with crap, it's still the best thing afloat. <laughs> well, I know, but I read a blog once and somebody had an opinion about the church. I keep your opinions to yourself because the church is still God's idea. We are God's solution in the earth and what dictates our prosperity isn't the stock market, it isn't the weather patterns, it isn't the political system, it's a covenantal blessing from God, watch, that the enemy does not have permission to steal. Famine for the region is favor for the people of God. Everyone says we're going into a recession, not so for the people of God. The government says we're going into a dark winter and batting down the hatches and we've never seen, it's gonna be the worst you've ever seen and the world is collapsing and the nations are on fire. Not so for the people of God. For when the world is at its worst, the church is at her best. When cities are overcome with problems, the people of God are the solution. In God's economy, hear me, there's only increase. In God's kingdom, there's only freedom. And in God's house, there is only breakthrough. It is all he knows. Now watch, you will either read the Bible through the lens of the news or you will read the news through the lens of the Bible. It's your choice. See, for me, I will not operate in fear. I will not operate in lack. I will not operate in poverty because when I read scripture, I understand that those things are not my portion because my inheritance comes from the Lord. It does not mean that I won't see those things made manifest in and around me. It means if God is for me, who can be against me? It means the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are safe. It means a man makes plans, but the Lord directs their steps. It means that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are high above. It means that he is the light and the lamp 
lamp upon my path. It means that he guides, leads, and directs me in green pastures and by still waters. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. It doesn't mean that I won't see it. For even David says in the Psalms, only with your eyes will you see the reward of the wicked, but it will not come near you. A thousand will fall at your left, 10,000 at your right, but it will not come near you. You won't fear the plague by day, the pestilence that stalks by noon. It will not come near you. It doesn't mean you won't see it. It means that you won't receive it because it's not designed for you to carry. You are a blessed and a prospered individual. Watch what Deuteronomy 28 says. It says you are blessed in the city and you are blessed in the country. It says you are blessed when you come in and you are blessed when you go out. It says, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your enemies will come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command blessing on your storehouse. He will establish you as a holy people to himself. He will grant you plenty of goods. He will open to you his good treasure, rain on your land, and bless the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You can have any type of revelation you want, but I choose the revelation of scripture. This is what God says about the life that I am invited to live. <laughs> and many people, I think, through bad theology or fractured frameworks or toxic family systems end up indoctrinating themselves with such false ideas that their life moves in the direction of their strongest negative thought. And so what they do is they think themselves into bondage. They prophesy themselves into poverty. They think themselves into anxiety, fear, depression. And in doing so, they end up living below the level of their invitation. And if you just knew what God said about what you could receive by virtue of your sonship in Christ Jesus, your life would never be the same. This ain't new theology. It's old theology. This ain't a new word. This is an old word. This ain't even New Testament. It's Old Testament. If this was true in the Old Testament, how much better and more true is it in the New Testament? The blessing of God makes you rich and adds no sorrow. And you don't get it because you deserve it. You get it because Christ deserves it. And when you are in Christ, you don't get what you deserve. You get what he deserves. That's the beauty of following Jesus. I just don't know if it's worth it following God, you know? And I just feel like, man, these pressures and I'm gonna be canceled and I'm not gonna get all the same invites that I used to get before and people are gonna think weird about me. And I'm telling you, if you just did a simple survey of scripture, you would see that you are on the winning side of eternity and of history every day of the week and six times on Sunday if you belong to God. Now watch, watch. <clears throat> there might be a famine in the land, but there's a blessing in the house. And just like the children of Israel who put the blood of the lamb over their doorstep and death passed over them, how much more for you and I today when the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost of our hearts? You might be thinking, famine, what are you talking about, Russ? We got more rain than we know what to do with in the Pacific Northwest. I'm not talking about a famine in a geographic sense or an agricultural sense. I'm talking about a famine in a spiritual sense. <clears throat> 
the true famine we face today is not economic, it's spiritual. Watch what the prophet Amos says to the people of God in Amos 8. He says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, where I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Now you might think to yourself, well, that sounds pretty negative coming from God. Why on earth would God release that judgment? God's judgment was simply catching up with the people's disobedience. He was saying, because you have rejected me and because you have closed your ears to my word for this season, I am going to withhold my word from you. You have convinced yourself that you can live without it. You have convinced yourself that you can just operate in a way that is agnostic of my role in your life. And if you don't give in to God, eventually he'll give in to you. And that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And so Amos speaking for the Lord says, this is what the sovereign Lord declares because you have rejected me because because you have gone far from me, I am giving you over to your own devices. It's what Paul repeats in the book of Romans. He says, for those who do not repent, what they receive is a debased mind and a reprobate heart and a seared conscience. They are no longer able to recognize the convicting pull or draw of the Holy Spirit. And maybe the most dreadful thing in all of humanity is to have your ears so closed that when God calls you by name, you don't even recognize it because your mind has been so filled by everybody else's voice and everybody else's thoughts in the world around you. The true famine we face in our region today is not economic, it is not political, it is not agricultural, it is spiritual. Now watch, watch. Is that not true in the Northwest? Are we not starving for the words of the Lord? Are people not tired of dead religion? Are people not weary of wineskins without wine, jars without oil, and churches without power? <clears throat> Somebody asked me today with the announcement, they said, why can't you just be content with Snohomish? Why aren't you just good like with Seattle? Like we just bought this place. Why does pursuit always have to be, in the mo be on the move, taking another mountain, conquering another region? Why? Because friend, there is a famine. And I'm not gonna sit around and complain about it. We're gonna strike the ground until living water begins to flow. See, a lot of believers live a majority of their life reacting to what is happening in the world around them instead of responding to what God would say about the things of their life. And if all you live is a reactionary life, then every time there's a famine, you're just gonna give up on God. Well, I guess this is our lot. No, God will cause you to see the true condition of the city around you to motivate you to do something about it. Instead of just wring your hands and clutch your pearls and my, oh my, isn't the world getting dark? The world been dark. <laughs> The world ain't getting dark, the world been dark. <laughs> and I know we think we're so advanced in Seattle, like we invented all new kinds of depravity, but just read the story of Nineveh, just read Sodom and Gomorrah, just read about all the nations and the cities that turned against God. We don't have new sin, we've got old sin. They're not new demons, they're old demons. They just get made manifest in a new way and then have TikTok accounts. Like this is not new, this is old. <laughs> And so when God opens your eyes to see actually the true spiritual condition, it's not to depress you like Elijah in the cave, God take me home, it's so terrible. No, it's to motivate you to do something about it. No, we are gonna strike the ground in Seattle and now in Kirkland until living water begins to flow. <clears throat> 
Now like Moses who struck the rock in the wilderness and water flowed out, like Moses who struck the bitter waters and made them sweet, it takes a person of faith who sees through the lens of faith, who can look at a desert and see the potential for an oasis. Moses never found a drinking fountain in the wilderness. He found a rock. But by faith, when he struck it or when he spoke to it, water poured out and it was enough to quench the thirst of three million Hebrew children and all the livestock that was with them, which means it was a big rock and it was holding a big well of living water. What I would propose to you tonight is that some of the places that we think are so chronically spiritually dry across the Northwest are simply rocks that contain wells of living water that have been waiting for people of faith to speak to them so that they could open up and come into their God-given potential. But this is so hard. God's never going to reach in the UW. You know, they're just so secular and it's so progressive and it's so liberal. And I just, yeah, we can sit around for the rest of our lives and complain about stuff, or we can speak to this mountain, be ye removed and cast into the sea. Now, why is it important for the mountain to be removed and cast into the sea? Because when the mountain is moved, it reveals that which has been underneath the entire time. Which means this, there's treasure hidden in fields waiting for the people of God to uncover but it requires mountains to be moved. But mountains don't move because you complain about them. Mountains move because you speak to them. <clears throat> Just get that on the replay, that'll help you, but. <clears throat> and why does God tell Isaac, don't go to Egypt? He tells him, look, there's a famine, but whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. Why? Because Egypt looks like it is prosperous. Egypt sounds like it would be easier. Palm Springs looks like an easy solution to a complicated problem. I know what Egypt looks like. Watch. But the blessing ain't in somebody else's house. It's in mine. Hmm. You ever have this experience growing up? Uh, Maybe you was uh, like me. We grew up in a very kind of conservative Christian home and never had a lot of money. And, and, And all my friends, like they was always a little bit more wild than me. And I don't mean wild, like doing crazy stuff and, and you're robbing banks and shooting up you know, old people homes or anything like that. But I just mean like they could watch PG movies and I could only watch G, you know? Like they had name brand cereal and we had, you know, <laughs> frosted flakies, you know? It wasn't, wasn't the real thing. And there was always this feeling when you was a kid and you go over to your friend's house, you're like, I could live here. <laughs> I'm gonna spend the night and try to spend another night too and see how many nights I can stay in a row because like this is the house. (laughs) And every once in a while you get lucky and parents are out of town, you could do two or three days at a friend's house. But I'll tell you what, no matter what they had access to, no matter how cool it was, no matter how relaxed the rules were, no matter how non-involved the parents were, no matter how much they let us run wild and stay up all night and eat a bunch of sugar and be all crazy, no matter what it was, there always came a time about two and a half days in where I was ready to go back home. Why? Because I recognize the blessing was not in what Egypt looked like it could afford me. It was in my own house. I'm here to tell you the blessing of God for your life is not in the house of Egypt. It's in the house of the Lord. Everyone asks me, they say, when are you Moving to Texas. When are you going to go to L.A.? When are you going to plant a church in the Bible Belt? Oh, you'd blow up in Montana. Oh, you'd have a huge church if you just moved to the Midwest. 
I like what C.T. Studd once said, some wanna live within a sound of church or chapel bell, but I wanna run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. If God can bless us in the middle of Snohomish, and if God can bless us in the middle of Kirkland, and if God can bless us in the middle of Seattle, then what is too hard for this God that we serve? Has not he proved himself faithful? Has not he proved himself good? Has not he proved himself praiseworthy? So I ask you again, what is too hard for this God that we serve? See, when you follow God, what follows God follows you. And this is why David declares, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Hear me, friend, because I wanna challenge your paradigm. We aren't chasing miracles, miracles are chasing us. We're not chasing provision, provision is chasing us. We are not chasing blessing, blessing is chasing us. And if through patient endurance we will follow the commands of the Lord, he will command a blessing that the world cannot take. Now don't run from what looks hard, don't run from what looks dry, and whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. Instead, live in the land which I shall tell you, and I will cause blessing to come up from underneath your feet. It's not that Egypt doesn't have prosperity, it's that its prosperity is not lasting and cannot heal the wounds of your soul. It's not that Egypt was broke, it's that what Egypt afforded Isaac was a temporary escape. And what God needed to do was heart level work in his life to teach Isaac that yes, I can be your supply even in the midst of a famine all around you. Some people live their life like this. You know, they're great when they're around, but they're only ever around until something more prosperous on the outside pops up. And so what they live is not a consistent life, but a compartmentalized life broken down into temporary pit stops that sometimes extend for 40, 50, or 60 years. I'm gonna stop here until the prosperity dries up. I'm gonna go over here until the blessing dries up. I'm gonna go over here until the miracles dry up. And what they fail to recognize is that they are simply living vicariously through somebody else's breakthrough. And if you would learn to steward breakthrough in your own life, what it would mean is that wherever you go, you sense the favor and the blessing of God. It's not dependent on the location of my feet, but instead the attitude of my spirit. I've developed in such a way that I know that wherever I'm at serves as an open heaven invitation for God to do his best work in and through my life. So instead of trying to chase all of the hot spots that open up in and around me, I'm gonna steward to my own house and allow the blessing of God to heal me completely, fulfill me, and do that necessary heart level work in my life. Now watch what happens in verse three. This is the Lord speaking to Isaac. He says this, now watch, dwell in the land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because your father Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge to you, Isaac, I will perform the oath and in doing so, multiply your seed and bless you to all the nations. Because of your father's obedience, that blessing now comes on you. Now listen, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, 
it doesn't just impact you, it impacts every generational seed that comes from you. When I'm talking to you about following Jesus, you might be here today bored out of your mind, in tears, oh my God, why am I sitting in church? It's so boring. I wish I could just be drinking with all my friends. Oh, wow, it's church, we're in church. Everybody wants to go to church all the time. Why is this church thing? Listen, you might not wanna get serious for God for you, but would you get serious for God for your kids and for your grandkids? Because I'm telling you, the decisions you make right now in this moment have a multi-generational effect, either for good or for bad. If you will heed the commands of the Lord, if you will obey his voice, if you will dwell in the land that he has given you, if you will honor the Lord and keep the book of his law on your lips, meditating on it day and night, long after you're gone, God will fulfill the promises he has made to you in the lives of your children and your children's children. Following Jesus is a multi-generational decision that will cause blessing like a cascading river to overtake those who come from you. Isaac in many ways has not lived really a well, nice, spiritually manicured life, but God never forgets sacrifice. God never forgets covenant and God never forgets a promise. And so he says to Isaac, because Abraham obeyed my command, now my blessing comes upon you. If you're walking in the blessing of God today, I've got good news and bad news. And it's both the same news. It's not about you. If you're walking in the blessing of God today, it's not about you. It's because someone came before you and heeded the voice of the Lord and their breakthrough became your blessing. Because Abraham heeded my voice, I'll put my blessing on you. And in doing so, the nations of the earth will see your prosperity. There is something I promise your forefathers that I desire to accomplish through your life, but it won't be possible until you learn the art, watch, of dwelling in the land. This is God's command to Isaac. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. That word dwell means what? To assemble, to stay, to abide, to tarry, to enter into as a newcomer until God grants you prosperity. (laughs) Before we planted in Seattle, we had this strategy. We're gonna assemble in the Seattle region. Might be in Ballard, might be in North Seattle, might be by the water, it might be in South Seattle, but we're gonna assemble in Seattle as often as we can, gather people to worship and pray because we are gonna dwell in the land until God gives us authority over it. It was the same strategy with Kirkland. We're gonna do pop-ups. Our last pop-up at Kirkland, the cops were called, the fire chief was called, they showed up, we, they was irritated, we were over capacity, every, ordinance was being violated. They showed up. The fire chief said, well, I'm not shutting down a church and walked out. (laughs) Well, why are you doing this and causing all this chaos and noise? Because I'm convinced that when believers gather in the land, God commands a blessing. And God won't give you it until you're willing to dwell in it. There is something about dwelling and assembling and gathering people. If two or more would gather in his name, there he would be. If they touch anything in agreement, they could consider it done. Ask anything of the Father in my name and you have that which you have requested. There is something about dwelling in the land until God gives you authority over it. But if you don't learn the sacred art of dwelling longer than what you are comfortable with or longer than your propensity towards ADD or longer then your propensity to get distracted by everything that's happening around you, you will always quit about 10 seconds short of the breakthrough that has your name on it. You've got to learn to dwell in the land. (laughs) The Lord tells Isaac, he says, dwell, dwell, dwell. See, we are immigrants to revival. 
We weren't born here, but we will raise our kids here. And we are not leaving until God performs everything he has promised to do. Listen, I am not visiting revival. I'm building my house here. This isn't a weekend getaway for me. This is not an Airbnb. This isn't a vacation rental. This isn't a cabin I spend the weekends at only to come back to dry, dead living. We are gonna assemble. We are gonna abide. We are gonna tarry until God grants us prosperity. <laughs> See, I don't think the enemy is bothered or even threatened by an every once in a while where we're gonna get together for something cool. I think all of hell gets put on notice when we're like, we're showing up. We're not quitting. This is our ground. You can break in. You can rob the place. We're still having church. It don't matter what you say. You can vandalize it and shoot out our windows. We're still gonna gather and worship Jesus. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, these folks are serious because the longer we dwell, the stronger we grow. The stronger we grow, the more authority we have. The more authority we have, God's anointing dwells strongly inside of us. And pretty soon we've stretched a canopy over the region and for our inheritance, God has given us this land. You've gotta learn the sacred art of dwelling. <laughs> You gotta stay one place long enough for God to accomplish his purposes in your life. You are not a top ramen Christian, a cup of noodles Christian. Put me into church for 60 seconds. I got everything I need. Bless God, I'll see you in two years. You are a crock pot Christian. God is stirring and he's working and he's adding ingredients and you're stewing and stirring all night and he's developing the deep things of your life and he won't stop stirring you lest what's on the base gets burned out and he's working overtime. He's working even in the times that you think you aren't. But if you don't give God enough time to work, you'll end up blaming him for your lack of breakthrough, which is only the result of your inability to dwell. David said, one thing I've sought, one thing have I desired to visit the house of the Lord like an Airbnb, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, watch, you need to dwell. <laughs> you think you will survive in this pagan culture without having a dwelling place to call your own? Give me a break. Just mail it in now. Just become some new age deconstructionist. Just admit it. You think you're gonna survive in this region without developing a house to call your own? Well, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? No, but I don't have to go home to be married either, but it helps. And you don't need a parachute to jump out of a plane, but it increases your chances of surviving. We're asking the wrong question. How can I get the most for me to build my resume? with the least amount of putting in or sticking around. And the Lord says, if you just show up and shut up and dwell somewhere long enough for me to work in your life, you would never regret it. <laughs> you gotta learn the art of dwelling. Why am I asking you to dwell at pursuit? <clears throat> because your kids deserve a church that they're excited to attend. Why am I asking you to dwell in pursuit? Because one day we will baptize your friends and family members at this altar. Why am I asking you to dwell in pursuit? Because nothing great gets built by people who casually visit when it's convenient. Why am I asking you to dwell in pursuit? Because maybe you got some kids far from God tonight struggling with addiction, living on the streets, tuning into a live stream, needing a message of hope. <clears throat> Friends, your faithfulness, this church, your spiritual commitment, it isn't about just building something cool for us.
It's fulfilling the promises that God made to the last generation. They prayed, they believed, they contended, they cried, they served, they gave. And God is saying to that great cloud of witnesses, watch, I will perform the oath I swore to you when you walked this land. After we made the announcement today, probably my favorite feedback was like literally the hundreds of messages that we got from people who were like, yo, I remember that building. I got baptized at that building. I got spirit filled at that building. Dude, my life totally got transformed at a youth conference at that building. I'll never forget that worship moment I had at that building. Oh, you don't understand, man. My parents was there. My grandparents was there. Man, we was raised there. I never thought I'd be a part of a church that now is getting invited to go back. This is crazy. Like my whole story is coming full circle. And I'm like, that's how God works though. (laughs) That's how God works though. He never leave a story halfway finished. And there's things right now from the beginning of your life, the beginning of your story, the beginning of your family system that you're looking at right now and you're like, how could this ever connect? Just watch. You dwell long enough, God will connect everything full circle and stuff that you thought was gone and left in the last season, God will redeem, reconcile, restore. It's just how he works. God always works through the patterns of reconciling and restoring. And you've just gotta recognize tonight, friend, that as God performs miraculous things in and through your life, he is making good on promises that he has made to the last generation. It's like he's in heaven elbowing the cloud of witness. Like, hey, watch, watch, watch. You forgot. I know you forgot, but watch. I didn't. Watch, watch what's gonna happen. What are you talking about, Lord? All of a sudden, they peer in with interest. Oh, I gave to help buy that building. My great, great grandchild is getting dedicated today. I know in the moment it doesn't always feel worth it to be extravagant with the church or extravagant with the Lord. But there will come a day where everything that you've given, everything that you've served, every prayer that you've prayed, every tear that you've cried, the Lord will cause to come full circle. He'll say it's the greatest investment that you've ever made. When we bought this building, one of my friends is in California now. He texted me. He said, Russell, you don't know how many tears of mine are in the carpet at that altar. He was like, don't, don't replace the carpet, Russ. He's like, don't do it, don't do it. He's like, those, 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 those carpets at the altar, they hold the waterworks. He said, you don't understand, Russ. I, I, was, I was praying for what you're seeing now. I just didn't know it. There are prayers that you are praying now that you don't know how they will ultimately conclude, but God does. And God will never waste sacrifice. He'll never waste a tear. He never does. He never does. <clears throat> I'm almost done watching. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. He said, oh, she ain't my wife. She my sister. For he was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought lest the men of this place kill me and take her because she is beautiful to behold. <laughs> she my sister. She ain't my wife. Now we're related, but we ain't married. No, we family, but we ain't in covenant. Isaac is afraid to claim Rebecca as his wife because he is convinced that people will kill him because of who he is married to. And it struck me that this is how many people treat the bride of Christ. I'm afraid to let folks know I'm married lest the culture cancel me, lest the city turn on me, lest my enemies overtake me. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but it ain't that serious. Yeah, I go to church, but it's just that little thing on the weekend. Nah, I don't put it on my socials. Nah, I don't advertise it to my friends. Nah, I don't really want anyone to know about the commitments I've made. 
And watch what Jesus says. If a man seek to save his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Friend, you can't kill what is already dead. I've already come out of the closet as a Jesus freak. There's no turning back. We are dead to the world, yet we are alive in Christ. And I simply cannot be ashamed of the bridegroom or the bride because Jesus was not ashamed of me. <laughs> Verse 12, then Isaac sowed in the land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Watch what the scriptures say. Isaac began to prosper, he continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. Now, I don't believe in the quote prosperity gospel, but I do believe the gospel will cause us to prosper. And hear me, you can be offended all you want, but prosperity only offends people who haven't encountered it. I've never seen a prospered person offended by prosperity. Now, prosperity looks different depending on what season you're in. Sometimes God will cause you to grow deep. Other times he'll cause you to grow wide. Sometimes prosperity looks internal. Other times it looks external. But I'm not gonna allow the bad teaching of the past to be the thing that robs me of God's blessing in the present. Do you know what the right response to bad teaching is? Good teaching. Do you know what the right response to bad theology is? Good theology. And sometimes people react to one ditch by falling in the other ditch to try to prove that they're more spiritually pious than the person that they secretly envy. <clears throat> I believe in prosperity because I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Watch what the Bible says. Isaac sowed in the land and he reaped in that same year a hundredfold. You don't get a generous harvest without a generous seed. 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, rolling, running over. It'll be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Proverbs 22, the generous themselves will be blessed for they shall share their food with the poor. Psalms 112, God will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who construct their affairs with justice. And how did God bless them with possessions until his enemies envied him? I refuse to be offended at someone else's blessing because you have likely no idea about the generosity of their seed. Well, they got a nicer car than me. You have no idea about the generosity of their seed. Well, why do they need that big a house? I didn't know that God instructed you to be everybody else's fruit inspector to determine whether or not what they make or what they have is appropriate for your small little mental matrix. Well, I just don't understand. Why do they got, they just need a Toyota. Why, they need a Tesla. Okay, they could just get away with a Toyota. Why? You know, for years we get emails at the church because people was upset at the clothes that I would wear when I would preach because I would be working in the crawl spaces Monday through Friday and those are the only clothes I had. So I'd get up and preach on Sunday and they'd be like, you look like you crawled out from under a rock. I said, I literally did crawl out from under a rock. <laughs> and then finally I was able, uh, uh, one time somebody had given me like a gift card. I think it was to Zara, uh, you know, the high end, really expensive, you know, fashion store where all the celebrities shop Zara in the mall. Somebody had given me a gift card to go uh, shop there for Christmas. So I finally was able to get some new clothes. And I remember the next Sunday I showed up in the new clothes and one of the people who was emailing upset about my bad clothes was now emailing upset about my new clothes. And I began to recognize some people just want to be upset about everything. And can I tell you, the quickest way to live a life void of blessing is to be jealous when everybody else gets blessed. <laughs> 
maybe the quickest way for you to encounter a breakthrough is to celebrate somebody else's breakthrough while you're waiting for yours. I refuse to be jealous of somebody else's blessing because I have no idea about what God has taken them through. You don't have any idea about what they lost, what they gave, what they sowed. You have no idea when they gave and it hurt and nobody else knew it. And when they turned down seven other things because they wanted to invest in this thing. And when they gave up house money and car money and school money and food money because they was just trusting that if they would be obedient to God, God would in turn. You have no idea about their seed. All you're judging is their conclusion. I'm telling you, this church is filled with people who sold more than you can ever imagine. I ain't never gonna criticize somebody for the car they have, the house they have, the watch they wear, the clothes they got. You've got no idea of what they've sowed. And what does the Lord say? He blessed Isaac, not with spiritual, emotional blessing. It says he blessed him with possessions. Possessions. Stuff. The Lord blessed Isaac with stuff. But we're so wrapped up in the poverty gospel that we get offended when people have more stuff than us. Oh, they got stuff. And I guess they're just very fleshly and living for the world. And don't you know, store up your treasures in heaven and place your mouth and rest, cannot destroy. What did God bless Isaac with? Stuff. And it was such extravagant stuff that the Philistines envied him. And they looked at him and they thought, what God does he serve that he has blessing when all we have is famine? Have you considered that even the stuff that God's given you is a testimony of the provision that comes from him alone? The building that we just were able to receive in, in Kirkland is on 14 acres, <clears throat> 111,000 square feet. It's six of these buildings, six, a thousand parking spots. I got more parking spots than all of Seattle. It's the largest church campus in Kirkland. It's not no small blessing. It's a big blessing. It's a big blessing. Because we serve a big God. And I tell you, the more that you hang out with a big God, the more you get big stuff. My God will supply. You think God's got a money problem? No, you got a money problem. God's streets are paved with gold. You gonna be offended with that? He sits on a throne of pearl and jasper. You gonna be offended with that? He got a rainbow crown above his throne. You gonna be offended with that? You ought to get God's vision on what true prosperity looks like. I said, you live, you live your whole life thinking that you'll get in stars on your chart in heaven for faking like you're poor. And the reality is, if you'll learn to dwell and you'll learn to sow, you'll never have a bill not paid. You'll never have a need not met. If you learn to dwell and you learn to sow, you might be here tonight, oh, I'm just a college kid. I'm barely surviving, bye, 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 bye. Listen, I'm telling you, <clears throat> one of the most powerful spiritual disciplines you will develop in your life right now is the spiritual principle of the tithe and the offering. Listen, there's no special offering tonight. There's no special, you don't have to worry. Don't clench your wallet and hold your purse real tight, okay? There's no special offering tonight. I'm just letting you know that to receive without sowing will do violence to your soul. (laughs) 
And when you come into the spiritual principle of tithing and offering, people say, really, 10%? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Because tithing isn't giving 10% of your money to God, it's God letting you keep 90% of his. It's a good deal, it's a really good deal. You tip the Uber driver more than you give God. <laughs> there's the tithe and there's offer. I could tell you, my first job ever, I worked for Ballard News Tribune. I was a paper boy. I delivered newspapers every Wednesday. My paychecks was $80 a month. And from the earliest age, I learned, if I'll give eight, every need to be met, every bill will be paid. My God will supply, will supply, will supply. How are we going forward, Kirkland? I'm not sure, but God will send some ravens even in the time of famine. All right, one more and I'm done. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. They filled them with dirt. So watch, Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug up in the days of Abraham, his father. The Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. So he called them by the names which his father had called them. So Isaac dug again the wells that the Philistines had filled in. Now watch, the enemy wants to turn your well of living water into a planter box of disappointment. He wants you to grow so accustomed to being thirsty that you've given up on getting a drink. There's a lot of junk in these here wells. There's a lot of attitudes, preferences, religion, hurt, and disillusionment. But we now must begin the hard work of redigging because we are convinced that although there's a lot of dirt, Although it's been a long time, although our enemies have celebrated their victories, there is still living water underneath our feet. I am convinced there is still a well of living water in the Northwest. I am convinced it resides right under where we are sitting tonight. I am convinced that if we will add our shovels together, God will restore what the enemy has stolen and this place will once again be known for renewal and awakening. And I love this, Isaac calls these wells by the names which his father had called them. Do you remember the names of the heroes who walked before us? Do you remember the stories they used to tell of salvations, healings, miracles? Friend, it's beginning to happen again. And this is why the prophet declares, rejoice, O barren. You, do not, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for you will be desolate no more. And Isaac moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rohabath because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Friend, there's enough living water to go around. The only thing competition will do in your life is stop you from receiving out of the overflow of what God desires to do. But his water is ours. We was here first. Stay on your side of town. What does a bunch of rednecks from Snohomish know about Kirkland? To tell you the truth, not much. But I serve the God from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And it belonged to him first. And if the Lord makes room, it's because he's already got people set aside to fill it. And if the Lord makes room, it's the responsibility of the church to seize it. And if the Lord makes room, then there is no time like the present. So let us not save four months and then the harvest. Let us lift up our eyes for the fields. They are ripe. The Lord tells Isaac, dwell in the land. 
Because I know that there's a famine happening around you, but there is generational wells that have been filled in, but you're gonna redig them. So Isaac redigs them and he names the wells after what his father had named them. And then he digs one extra. And he names this one, the Lord will make room for us. Can I tell you, the well of living water here at Pursuit Seattle is for the express purpose of making room for a region to encounter him. We're gonna make room. That church we just got in Kirkland seats 2,200. We're making room. How are we gonna fill it? I'm not sure. How many empty seats are gonna be on day one? I'm not sure. But I'll tell you what, if the Lord make room by his spirit, we are going to fill it. <laughs> so I'm asking you to get your shovel ready because we got some redigging to do. The Philistines have added some dirt, tried to convince you there's a famine, but we know that we got prosperity like a living well teeming with life from inside, that out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. This is the God we serve and this is the opportunity that we've got. We're gonna make the devil pay for every year he's stolen from Snohomish, Seattle, and Kirkland. You know how we're gonna do it? Not with swords, but with shovels. He thought he could throw so much dirt on your inheritance that you'd forget it was there. But your inheritance wasn't buried, it was planted. And it's time to redig the wells of Seattle and beyond. Come on, stand as we close.